Let's get scratching. We got an explosive broadcast coming to you. Listen up. Sega games, just keep playing them. Sega! We're back. It's the Sega Bit Swing Report Show. Get ready for Sega interviews and news with George and Barry. Hello and welcome to the Segabit Swing and Report Show. I'm Barry and I'm going solo. I'm sitting here in person with Chris Tang. And you may remember him. He's been on our show before, probably about uh, five or six episodes ago. And um, he's most well known for, well, many things. Uh, the Sonic & Knuckles Rock the Rock competition. Also the Nintendo World Championships. And um, he's a game developer. He's a record holder for a lot of games. And, um, well, here he is. Uh, you can talk to him. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm the Sega World Champion and the, the boom, Tetris for Jeff guy. Yeah, yeah. He also is a living meme. Um, I'm actually, I'm touching him right now. There we go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we're going to be covering, I mean, we've had Chris on before. We talked a lot about Strike Harbinger. We're going to have an update on that. Um, and we also talked about, about his early career. So if you want to hear about those sorts of things, you can check out that older episode. But, um Right now, we're going to roll right into the big reason why Chris is here in the Chicagoland area. He um, he used this as a, a jumping-off point to get to Iowa for the International Video Game Hall of Fame Class of 2016 induction ceremony. Right. The Class of 2016 is being inducted in 2017, so uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> That's just how they do things. Yeah. Uh, it's at the video game capital of the world, Otumwa, Iowa, which is the home of the Twin Galaxies Arcade in the 80s and uh, one of the birthplaces of competitive gaming as a whole. And uh, a lot of people say that, you know, the first high scoreboards that were tracked, uh, you could play at another game, in the, another arcade in the country and send in your scores, and Twin Galaxies would actually keep it, uh, like, in a computerized system, and they would publish it to different magazines, and it ended up in the Guinness Book of World Records. And they had this whole system for doing that, and it was the first time that had been done in the world. So that's very historically significant for video games and uh, sort of like the evolution of esports. So uh, there's a lot of um, tradition and uh, things that, that have to do with that. So they started the, the International Video Game Hall of Fame in 2010, and they've had three different uh, classes where people and games and different things are inducted into them. And... Uh, somehow, uh, I got inducted this year, I guess, because I had done enough, and uh, people voted on it. Like, there's a whole, there's a committee, and there's people who uh, had ballots to, uh, well, first you nominate them, and uh, then you vote on them. And apparently, I got enough votes, and uh, I had won. So, uh, I got inducted. Um, like, last year, uh, Thor Ackerland, the Nintendo World Championships winner from 1990, was, uh, was one of the guys that got in. Uh, this year, we had uh, Satoru Iwata. Uh, the late president of Nintendo, he was inducted, as well as Hideo Kojima. Um, I'm pretty sure people know him. You know, he's a, the creator of the Metal Gear series, uh, Snatcher, Police Knots, uh, and the upcoming Death Stranding. Um, of course, those guys didn't show up. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would, it would it would be terrifying if Hideo, I mean, if not Hideo Kojima, <laughs> but if Satoru Iwata showed up. Oh, it would yeah. be terrifying. Uh, uh, incidentally, I've actually met uh, Satoru Iwata in uh, real life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I might mention that story later. It's, it, it was kind of interesting, but uh, there are other people uh, in games inducted. Uh, Lonnie McDonald, who is uh, Joust, um, he's doing a tour. Uh, he, his goal is to max out every single Joust arcade game um, in existence, mm-hmm. and uh, he did number 175 at this event. Uh, Isaiah Triforce Johnson, uh, who's a, a pivotal figure in esports and uh, a big proponent and uh, advocate of Nintendo, um, you know, he'd be the guy who'd be first in line to get every Nintendo system, and uh, he's been doing a lot of press, uh, positive press for Nintendo over the years. So uh, uh, he uh, he was also inducted this year, and uh, and myself, uh, Patrick O'Malley, who uh, he uh, runs the one of the oldest arcade uh, running arcades in the world, um, was a, a community inductee. So games like Minecraft, Super Mario Brothers, Zelda. And World of Warcraft were also inducted this year, so that's that's what was uh, going down in uh, Otumwa, Iowa, this year. And I got to uh, I got to visit the main street. Like there mm-hmm. are all these historic photos that came out of it. There's a Life magazine photo that's extremely historic that uh, millions of people around the world have seen, where they had the arcade machines lined up on the street. Uh, I believe it's like Ms. Pac-Man and Centipede and Tutankham. Uh, I think Tempest was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, they took this photo. Had these, uh, they had cheerleaders, local cheerleaders were in it, and um, the best players of the time. I know Billy Mitchell was in that original picture, so they recreated that picture um, with the the surviving people who are um, from that original picture, and also they made new pictures with uh, the current inductees. So myself and some of the others uh, right. took the picture, and um, that was pretty cool. That's something um, I read about and I would see in my magazines and in my books as they were happening um, they'd be published and I'd see this stuff and I'd be like inspired by it and mm-hmm. it would, I'd be like oh I want to go to this place someday and unfortunately the 80s ended and the arcades <laughs> closed and I was like oh I'm not going to get to do that anymore but right. uh, now there's a resurgence of nostalgia and mm-hmm. retro games are an in thing so all that stuff becomes historically relevant and by having sort of like this uh, ceremony mm-hmm. um, they, they, make, they bring it to the forefront again and people like me can actually kind of live that dream of going there and and seeing where it all started. Right, yeah, and I mean, if some of those names sound familiar to people, I think the most pop, like pop culture, you know, popular outside of uh, video games thing would be that uh, documentary, um, King of Kong. So there's there's some players from that who were involved in the the uh, International Video Game Hall of Fame and inductees and things like yeah, that. Yeah, King of, King of Kong was uh, a huge cultural phenomenon in terms of um, bringing competitive video gaming in the classic era. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Competitive video gaming in the classic era uh, into the mainstream. And yeah. uh, there's another documentary movie called Chasing Ghosts, which goes into it even further. And that one has the whole history behind that uh, Life magazine photo. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was definitely a combination of inductees, though I would argue, or maybe I don't have to argue, that you kind of you ticked all the boxes, really. And like you were saying, it, it was just, it was you. It wasn't like Chris Tang for doing X. It wasn't, right, it wasn't one, one thing. One thing. In order yeah. to be, I guess, considered, you kind of have to have more than just one. You can't be a one-trick pony. Right. You have to kind of do a whole lot of different things. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess I really, yeah, did check check a lot of different boxes. I'm a game developer. Um, I do esports commentation. I do. Um, you know, I can score high on games, and I'm a pretty well-known competitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely the the Sonic and Knuckles Rock the Rock Championship was the most ambitious and. Um, crazy tournament uh, ever held in its time and we had like a $25,000 prize and it was broadcast internationally on MTV and Mm -hmm. to this day it is the only tournament where you could go to a regional, you could win your regional and they would fly you and your parents or or a companion Mm -hmm. to the finals Mm -hmm. all for free. Yeah. Any kind of you, know, you you have big tournaments these days but you know you have to pay an entrance fee or you have to have some kind of um you know, like an invitational or something like that. Right. Uh, but they don't pay your way. You have to get a sponsor or something like that. Um, but in this case, because it was a first party, which was Sega, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you had kids and you had you know, people of all ages mm-hmm. expected to compete, they had to provide like you know, right. the room, the lodging, the airfare. And uh, you could enter a regional in Brazil, win at the Hard Rock Cafe there, and you know, you'd get whisked away to Alcatraz in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. there's never been anything like that since. Right. There were a lot fewer, I guess, hurdles. I mean, it was still difficult to place and get there, but it wasn't anything like, I guess, the Nintendo World Championships, which was a little more complex in the way that um, you would uh, make it to where yeah, the, the, the 1991, yeah, it mm-hmm. was a tour, and mm-hmm. it went to different cities. You could actually chase the tour, so if you lost, like, actually, when I qualified, it was in Los Angeles, but that was my second okay. crack at it. Uh, a guy named Robin Mahara beat me out in Oakland, and uh, in doing so, he became one of my best friends, you know, of all mm-hmm. time, but uh, I ended up going down to Los Angeles and then winning my city championship there, which ironically is why I'm in the video game industry, because mm-hmm. I met the guy that worked at Atari that got me my job, basically. Yeah, and so, yeah, I mean, since we're talking about the Video Game Hall of Fame, let's talk about just kind of some of the career highlights. I know we could talk for hours covering them all, but just to give people kind of a Cliff Notes version of sure. um, the things that you are known for, like the games you've worked on and the companies you've worked at. Um, well, like I started off um, working at Tengen, and uh, I think maybe the first game I'm credited in is Rampart for the Sega Genesis. So, you know, relevant to Sega, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, that version has you know, a few features that the arcade one didn't uh I balanced it. Uh, it has really good control compared to pretty much every other version. Uh, we hit a fatality in the game. You can actually um, chop someone's head off at the end of uh, a match. Uh, the arcade version didn't do that, but uh, the programmer thought it was funny to uh, uh, make it so that instead of fading the screen out after um, you uh, go into that cutscene, it actually has the head fall off and 
drop into the basket. And uh, the reason why I feel like I should take a little bit of credit for that uh, is because um, the programmer was ordered to not put that in the game, mm. but I convinced the programmer to uh, hide it via a secret code. And nice. uh, I, I'm not even sure if anybody knows that code to this day, but uh, <laughs> I guess I'll give a little hint. Uh, you have to hold down some buttons for a long time. Okay. Uh, you might be able to figure it out. Okay. And there's not that many buttons, so I think no, there's not that many buttons. <laughs> What's really cool though is if you push the buttons, one of the buttons makes like the losing player. You can push the buttons on the controller, and one of them will make them scream, and another button will make them like close their eyes, <laughs> and then the other, the, the winning player, if they push the button, they'll drop the guillotine mm-hmm. blade, mm-hmm. Uh, and then either if you if you did the code right, then the head will fall off into the <laughs> basket. So that's really funny. Uh, that was one of the first games that I worked on. Mm-hmm. And, um, the second one I think that is really notable is Gauntlet 4. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot. I did a lot of design writing for that. Uh, there's an RPG mode that got put into it. Um, I talked a little bit more about that in the other Sega Bits interview. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. so that's the other thing, thing at Tengen. And uh, before I knew it, I was drafted into game design, and I worked on some fighting games uh, for Atari at that point. Uh, the most uh, prominent of which is Primal Rage. A lot of kids grew up with that, and uh, they like it now. And uh, sort of the infamous canceled Primal Rage 2. Which uh, is kind of why I have uh, a presence in uh, the Midwest now, because the Galloping Ghost Arcade mm-hmm. has the only playable version of Mortal, or of of Primal Rage 2 that you can walk up to and play. Like you can't find that in any other arcade other than Galloping Ghost. Right, and I, I'm wondering for you, is that kind of like having an old friend like living in the Midwest who is kind of like homebound? They can't really leave, so you have to come and visit them. But it's, yeah, it's kind of a treat yeah, to see them. Yeah, it, it's. A very interesting experience, um, and you're kind of their caretaker too, right? You come out here, and you've been you've been doing something. They have, to the Galloping Ghost has had me come out here for a couple of years now, and uh, you know they'll they'll have me come out and do autographs, and you know they had a developers' day, and then they had Sega Week last year, which, mm-hmm. which you guys were a part of, mm-hmm. which was great, by the way. And yeah. um, that 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 turned out excellently. Um, you know, we first showed Strike Harbinger there, and mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with just touching base with Doc and the Galloping Ghost Arcade about the whole Primal Rage Two thing, and. Uh, that's sort of how I met them, mm-hmm. and we've been having a great relationship ever since. In fact, they are the ones that drove me to the International Video Game Hall of Fame in Iowa, uh, which actually isn't in Chicago. It's like a five-hour drive. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we made a road trip out of it, and I made a sort of like a week out of this this trip over to the Midwest, and I've been really enjoying myself. Yeah, you've been getting a lot of stuff done, too. Yeah, a lot of stuff done. But, yeah, again, about the Primal Rage, too, um, you know, it's the only place that you can go to in the world, and I, I would say that... When they uh, got it playable in 2014, I was blown away. I never thought I'd ever see anyone play that again. Mm-hmm. And they went one step further, and they live casted, they broadcast on Twitch mm-hmm. uh, their guys playing the game for the first time, and they streamed it for two days, and they were discovering moves and fatalities and, and secrets that no one had ever seen before mm-hmm. in real time. And, uh, I mean, you can even go on YouTube and look up um, Primal Rage 2 Fatalities, Galloping Ghost Arcade, mm-hmm. and there are these grown men in their 30s screaming out in joy when they say, I did a fatality! Holy beep! Yeah, like, right, it, like right. they're like screaming and swearing and it's like the greatest thing ever because it's like I've never seen anyone play my game like that and, and get that kind of joy mm-hmm. and reaction. Such honest reactions right. from players as they're happening. Well, there's so many fans, I mean, of that that I, I mean I guess it's a series now that there's two right <laughs> yeah but, um, of the original and so it, it's almost like a portal opening up and suddenly the sequels there you know this isn't a, a Sonic Mania situation where it was made after the fact and it's like retro right it, oh know? this is amazing because there's no FAQs there's no guides people didn't know anything about this game mm-hmm. but yet it was a well produced well yeah if you can call it that it wasn't finished but it had high production values behind it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, they fully intended this thing to come out and for it to be a competitor to Mortal Kombat and Killer Instinct and mm-hmm. the games of its time. Uh, so it had a lot of quality put into it, millions of dollars worth of development effort. Mm-hmm. It had fatalities, it had special moves, it had combos and things like that. But now if you have a game and it's announced and uh, people have been working on it, you, know, you have YouTube videos and you have people in the press talking about it. Yeah. But this game never got that because it didn't get that far and the internet wasn't quite on it when um yeah back in 96 when mm-hmm. this thing uh would have would have been in the news and that sort of thing and there're small press blurbs about it like there's like a game pro thing that shows some of the characters mm-hmm. and uh in the toy line uh Necroson and Slashfang which were exclusive to Primal Rage 2 actually came out as toys Oh right yeah yeah, and that's actually interesting too because I wrote the stories on the backs of the boxes for all those <laughs> toys uh so the only way that this game lived to me is in the form of 
one, uh, a novel that came mm. out. It was a novelization of Primal Rage and Primal Rage 2. Wow. Uh, I wrote the source material for that novel, and, I got, and then that got published. But mm -hmm. it's, it's super rare, and it's kind of expensive now. Mm -hmm. uh, and the toys. So, yeah. but Necroson the toy is super rare, and like if you have a sealed one, it's worth over five hundred bucks. Wow! Uh, wow. Partly because of the mythos of the game that never came out. So, are people able to emulate the game though? Okay, so there? this is this is the thing. In twenty fourteen, mm -hmm. you couldn't. Yeah, it was. Uh, it had too many weird things about it. Um, it had some crazy, like uh, one of the programmers that worked on it uh, put some weird things in it so that it couldn't be pirated as easily. Oh, okay, and. Uh, some people called it encryption, but it was actually something different. Mm -hmm. um, it also had specific hardware requirements. It had um, proprietary boards that um, were one of a kind. You mm -hmm. know, Atari made their own printed circuit boards, so it's not like they use off-the-shelf components that you can use to um, just run the game. Um, and the reason for that is the game did a lot of things that no other game did. We actually streamed animation frames off of a hard drive in real time and wow. which was very unusual for for its time like back then you had a game like killer instinct it would only stream off like the backgrounds and the music but we were streaming backgrounds music and animation frames the first few frames of each animation were kept in rom and then the rest of them were streamed off on the hard drive and that's because there's so many frames and a lot of fluid animations mm -hmm. and yet you had to have a special controller board that could handle all that stuff and that's something that uh, you couldn't get just a standard um, arcade PSX hardware. We're actually on PlayStation One hardware, but using modified boards that uh, okay. that um, you know they don't have an emulator for that. Because right, right. You can't just buy that board. Uh, so you, so someone eventually figured it out, but you couldn't do that in 2014. It wasn't until this year, 2017. This was the year that it finally became em emulatable, and it made news, big news this year. In fact, if you look it up, you know, Engadget called it. They, they said this exactly. It was. Um, was it um, 2017's hottest fighting game? <laughs> Primal Rage 2. That's great. And That's really cool. I couldn't believe that. Like when I read that, I was like, did, he, did they just say that Primal Rage 2 is the hotest fighting game of 2017? Wow, that, right. that, that's so vindicating. Right. And um, one of the things that I noticed was, you know, a lot of people look at it and it kind of looks maybe janky because it's unfinished, but a lot of people have analyzed it and they say that it holds up pretty well mm -hmm. as a competitive fighting game. And they're using modern fighting game terms yeah. uh, to evaluate it. And, like, that's an incredible... I feel that's, like, something incredible in terms of just, you know, me being able to get the game that far, even though it didn't get finished. Right. And we didn't even put that thing into final playtest balancing or anything mm -hmm. like that. Usually we have the testers bang on it, and then, you know, I'd be hammering out um, problems with balance and right. you know, making things fine-tuned and things like that. It never got that far. Uh -huh. I just put it put in all the work on instinct and did what I thought felt good for fighting game characters. Well, not to, like... I guess to draw a comparison, then, like, 2017, we also had the, um, the SNES Classic come out, and that had Star Fox 2, whereas, you know, with that, the game's finally available, but you have to get... You know, have to buy into that, but it's, it's readily available. But this one, like, the only real official way... The closest to official way is to come out here and play it. Yeah, it is. Actually, the emulation is still not perfect. If you try to play a two-player versus game using the emulator, yeah. it will crash after every match. Okay. So if you want to have two players go at it for any amount of time, you have to come here and play the arcade version. Otherwise, you have to keep resetting the emulator. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. There's actually a YouTube video. I think two best friends play some. It might, it's one of those. Mm -hmm. But it's got a ton of hits, and uh, they have to keep resetting their emulator. <laughs> they need to come to... out here and record an episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! So you so you're working on that, and um, I mean, there's going to be more more news about that down the road. People can stay tuned to your um, your Twitter feed, possibly. And, yeah, uh, for for Primal Rage two. Yeah, um, probably Galloping Ghost will probably talk about it. Okay. Um, All right. So stay tuned on that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, after, after uh, Primal Rage two got canceled, I went on to Capcom. Worked mm -hmm. on stuff like Street Fighter three, Street Fighter Alpha three, uh, Tech Romancer. Unfortunately, my name. I was the one who named that game. Uh, it was called Kikaio in Japan, and as I said in the other Sega Bits report, I wanted it to be called uh, Machine King, but they <laughs> liked Techromancer instead, even though I wanted that to be like an RPG or something. But, mm -hmm. uh, Power Stone as well, right? Yeah, Power Stone. Yeah. What was uh, your role on that? I don't think we dis discussed Power uh, Stone. It's mostly too. like uh, localization stuff and balancing moves, things like that. Okay. I mean, they throw a game at us, and you know, I'd, I'd do reports on them, okay. things like that. Uh, Power Stone 2, did you do anything on yeah, that one? Yeah, more of the okay. same. Okay. I think by that time, though... Um, like, our division has started breaking off yeah. uh, under Genasia. So, yeah. Um, yeah, after um, 
while I was at Capcom, um, our, our group uh, broke off and formed a, a company. It's like now an indie company called Genasia, and uh, the game that tentatively called Strike Harbinger will be released under under that branding, uh, mm-hmm. most likely. And you were showing me a game earlier, the uh, the Beast Wars. Yeah, game. Transformers, That's... Beast Wars, Transmetals. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did production work for that. I was a voice director, a voice actor. Uh, I wrote all the dialogue, wrote all all the story stuff for that. So. Um, it's a PlayStation 1 game. Uh, they also made an N64 version of it, but some bad things happened to it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I won't get into, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't very happy with it. Yeah, yeah. And so now you're working, I mean, am I, am I jumping ahead much, but um, you're working on tentatively titled Strike Harbinger yes. with uh, Kiyoshi Okuma. We didn't talk about Kiyoshi much last time because he refuses to come onto this podcast. Uh, no, he doesn't. But... Um, um, is there, uh, I guess, a, a few things you could say about Kiyoshi and his career? I feel like... Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to shortchange the guy on... You know. uh, the interesting thing is that uh, both Kiyoshi and I both came from Atari Games slash Tengen, mm-hmm. uh, where at one point it was called Midway um, Home Entertainment. I mean, it, they changed names a bunch of times. We all call it Tengen, mm-hmm. and we all worked under the same department head. Uh, his name is Bill Hindorf, and uh, ironically also Eric Suzuki, our producer, uh, who's, who's pr- probably credited in like over I don't know 50 Capcom games because he was my he was my boss at Capcom uh, and he's our producer now was also uh, working at uh, Tengen uh, under Bill Hindorf so all three leads on tentatively titled Strike Harbinger have this origin at uh, at Tengen Atari mm-hmm. uh, but Kiyoshi uh, yeah he's he's got a very interesting uh, career he started off I think uh, the first thing they worked on was um, uh, N64 Gauntlet Legends and uh, then he um, I think after that he went to Blue Shift and uh yeah, he worked and uh, visual concepts. Mm-hmm. So uh, he worked on some of the Sega um, Dreamcast baseball games. Yeah, World Series baseball, and um, he he worked on the Sims as well. Correct? Yeah, Sims. He went to EA and mm-hmm. Maxis and uh, worked on the Sims and Dark Spore and the ill-fated Dawngate, oh. which is yeah, you know, it's a League of Legends game made by EA that people actually liked, <laughs> and uh, and it looked really great. I mean, that, and that's a, the thing is that's. A really hot type of game right now, like the MOBA and uh, games like Overwatch and League of Legends, and mm-hmm. um, they kind of like killed it, just like they kill a whole bunch of other stuff. And uh, the difference was that people really like this thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, for us, you know, on the tentatively titled Strike Harbinger, it's good news because you know that's how you know we teamed up. And uh, he's like, okay, he'll be our uh, art director, and he provides all the graphics uh, um, for, for for our game now. So how do you guys work together? Like, what's it like? I guess. What do you have any um, any development stories or? Well, sort of like the the the, the lofty um, imagined version is we watch a lot of episodes of Bubblegum Crisis and we get all hyped up and yeah we we play like '90s games and we play like Space Harrier and and Night Striker and um, you know watch a lot like Gunbuster and things like that and. Uh, then we just start jamming and, and stuff, and, and the game makes itself. But mm-hmm. it's actually a lot of hard work. So uh, what what ends up happening is we figure out what um, assets need to be made, what our next target target goal is, what we want to show off, what new features for our next demo. Uh, although we're transitioning off of that model, we want to actually advance towards finishing the game now. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably do a lot less shows, a lot less uh, demos. Like we usually go to like Portland Retro Gaming Expo and and Game On Expo and other gaming expos to show off the game and you'll get people to play it and uh, oh man it's great it's a great feeling seeing people play it and they're having so much fun with them we just we just added two players to the game so uh, seeing families play it and your know, brothers and sisters and then you know hardcore players just like hammering on it and the, just a whole broad spectrum of people playing it it's great seeing people uh, play it out on location and, and getting the word out mm-hmm. uh, but at some point we got to lock it down and, and advance towards completion so that's sort of the phase that we want to do now and uh, so we figured out we figure out what assets we need and get those made, and I try to code in the features that that will support those and vice versa. Okay. Yeah, I was just I was curious what kind of because I know you're both working out, but what kind of like elements of the game are more you? What elements are more him? Oh yeah, well so. he, he does uh, yeah the graphics. So we figure out what we need in terms mm-hmm. of visuals. Like, um, do we want a different looking gun or do we want a different looking obstacle or enemy? And uh, then he bangs bangs those out and. Uh, for me, I code you know features that are going to go into the game, like a weapon system for different characters is something that I'm going to be working on next. Cool, cool. And I actually I got to play it here with you um, in this uh, secret bunker <laughs> outside Galloping Ghost, and um, I was really impressed with how much it changed. I mean, I was one of the early people to play the um, 
the the first demo. Yeah, uh, you were the, the first person from the public, not on the dev true. team, to play. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Oh wow, maybe I'll get into the Hall of Fame someday. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and so you know, it it was really fun then, and it's it's it feels even. Is it more funner? <laughs> That's not even a word. It's but more funner. <laughs> it's more funner now. Yeah, it's, it's got just, some new gameplay features. Yeah, it, it just feels like it's a lot tighter. Um, it feels, I, I don't mean this as a knock on the original, but professional. feels a lot more professional rather than like a proof of concept. Maybe, you, you know what I'm trying to get at? That, that was thrown um, together so fast, I, I'm totally not offended. Yeah, like we've okay. had a lot more time to, <laughs> to do things. Because as I was playing it, I started to really um, get a feel for all the different, you know, modes and weapon types and ways you can shoot. It's 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 kind of hard to explain. It's almost like it, it turns the um, controller into like a little playground for your fingers. Because you're like, oh, I'm going to play this way. And then you're like, oh, I want to move over here and start using these triggers. And then I want to move this way and use the sword. And it's, um, there's not many games like it that I've played where there's so many different ways to play. Yeah, it's more like um, you have a bunch of features that you can use, but you don't need to use them all. So if you start playing the game a certain way, you could just play it, you could just play it like, a, like a rail shooter without having to dash or anything like that. But mm-hmm. once you find the dash, then you can use the dash to move around faster. Then you can use it to launch off of ramps and do super moves and things like that. And then once you find out that you've got a super meter, then you can use it to heal, you can use it to summon portals, and it's got a lot of depth. But mm-hmm. the thing is, the depth isn't necessary to enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it takes a certain it, t- it takes a certain finesse to be able to design like that, where whoever jumps on it and puts their, the controller in their hands and you just start banging on it can have fun from almost any of those dimensions. I've seen some kids pick up the controller and they just use the sword, mm-hmm. and uh, and they they're completely happy doing that. I mean, yeah, of course, visually it takes a lot of cues from um, classic Sega arcade games, uh, Space Harrier being the most obvious one, but it really moves a aw- I wouldn't say moves away from that, but just kind of evolves the whole way to play. Because um, after a while, I, I found myself I didn't even feel like I was playing a. Um, uh, for lack of a better word, like a Space Harrier clone. You know what I mean? And there are those out there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, n- not to insult them, but I, I don't feel like they go as far as they could. And I feel like they kind of hold back just so that they can stay in that safe area. And so, I, I, I don't know, I'm just I'm really impressed with the direction it's taking right now. Thanks. I mean, um, I, I pretty much just base it on what's fun. Like, mm-hmm. what what's fun in this moment and how can we make the game always uh, exciting and uh, uh, pleasing to to blow stuff up with. Yeah, and and the two-player mode is really fun, too, because, um, I mean, when we were just testing it out, um, we were talking to each other a lot. And I always like types of games where, you know, you... A lot of people don't play games together in the same room anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and I don't... Is this going to have an online mode at all? This one won't. Okay. Not, at least not, not in, like, strip... Tentatively titled Strike Harbinger right. uh, 1. Uh, maybe in a sequel. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Netcode is one of those things where if you try to implement it into a game after you started making the game, yeah. uh, it'll turn your dev time like into years yeah. longer than it should be. But I guess I, the what, what I was getting at there is mm-hmm. that I prefer playing this game in person with someone because you can really talk back and forth and say, oh, I'm going to go over here, I'm going to do this. Oh, like you were showing me um, the ramps. That's yeah. something new. You want to actually both run towards a ramp to, so you can both jump off of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so uh, it's, it's really cool just to work together like that. I know uh, we got together a few days ago and we were at the arcade and we were playing um, uh, Quartet. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's a totally different game from this in a sense. I, I you, you do take some inspiration from that game, I feel. I don't there, know. There, there are actually some, some references to yeah. Quartet in our yeah. game. Um, and there's that line when you... Uh, when you start it up, that's destroy the boss. Only a key opens the door. Open the door. And uh, when uh, Valia gets to the boss, she says, destroy the boss. So there's a lot of Sega fans will really like her. Yeah, thing. yeah. There's, there's so, little things in there. And uh, yeah, they're there. Yeah, and so I was getting that vibe when we were when we were playing quartet two player. It, it's that same sort of thing where you're you're not working against each other. There are some elements though. Um, like, when I died, I could come back and steal one of your lives. Yeah, kind of like that Contra thing. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's again, it's kind of working together. Because, you yeah. know, you might say to me, hey, can you not steal my life? Because I think I can pass this stage, and I kind of need to hold on to that. 
Yeah. Um, of, of course, it's up to me to take it or not. Mm-hmm. You can, or you could even hold off on it and say, all right, I need some more firepower. Join in, please. Right. Of course. And so, yeah, I really, I really like that. I mean, it's, it's bringing the game outside the game. Like yeah. that's not something that you've developed. It's human interaction. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's changing the way you play the game. Uh, and it's, it's something well, you there are just... definitely features that were developing to make that more fun. Mm-hmm. For instance, you can heal each other. Uh, you can use your super meter and charge it up to level two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you can heal the other player from anywhere on the screen. If you do the lower level one, you have to be next to them. So you, you actually kind of fly together so you can heal more cheaply. That's cool. And uh, the other thing is that um, the level three, that thing I was talking about with portals, mm-hmm. you can shoot the port. One player can shoot the portal out, but both players can do their super move through the same portal. So that's where it gets exciting. And you, when you both see the portal coming in, then you both try to time your, your boost so that it activates the special move at the same time. Yeah, and so just so people understand, like the portal is um, one of the... Um, extra things that you can earn right so it's this kind of like green doorway coming towards you and when you go through it you can pull off one of those special moves correct right right okay it's, it's like a portable version of the ramp mm-hmm. but uh, it, so you use a timing moves. yeah right it it uses the timing of your your boost dash and if you time your boost dash just right then you'll do it you'll do a more powerful move through it mm-hmm. and you can use it to like attack bosses uh, instead of uh, having to wait for a ramp. And there's a game that you were, when talking about the ramps, you were inspired by with the ramps. Well, a little bit. Or pe- maybe there's, there's, there's a bunch of games that have that sort of mechanic to it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll not say it at first just because I kind of want people just to sort of, maybe they'll figure it out on their own. Yeah, Because there's someone I know that did figure it out, and it was like the biggest compliment in the world when he when he, when he he figured out that, that this was the kind of game that he wanted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, people can be on the lookout for that. Then. Yeah. They, can, they, can, they can make the decision, and maybe they can send you an, an email or a DM and say, is it this? And you <laughs> yeah. can give them the winky face or the frowny face. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the game's just progressing, you know, really well. Um, I'll see if I can maybe do a write-up or, you know, I... It, it's hard to put into words. There's so much happening on the screen, but I mean that in the nicest way because mm-hmm. you, your your brain starts to figure out, you know, what sort of weapon to use for certain situations. But like with Space Harrier, it's all coming at you very quickly. However, it's not just the gun, mm-hmm. you know, or the um, what is that? That's the Harrier, right? The the thing he's holding. Uh, that's an atomic blaster, I guess they call it. Okay. Who's the Harrier? He's Harrier. He's Harrier. He's yeah. Harrier. Okay. I, I need to get with the lore. But, um, and speaking of the lore then, so you are working um, with uh, Henshin Engine, which is a separate project. You're, you're not involved in any of the development or anything, correct? Um, I did the writing for our character. So okay. Dahlia has a story in the game, and I did all the writing on that. Uh, I, I got our samples from the sound bank from our game and mm-hmm. uh, converted it to work with their game so when Valia slashes her sword in Henshin Engine uh, she said you know her voice is actually the real voice yeah and so Henshin Engine um, it's a 2D platformer inspired by it's sort of like when you have the Genjika characters like a like a character like an anime character that represents a game system so the main character of that game she's like a PC Engine representative That's right. yeah. and her rival is like a Genesis her name is literally Jenny and uh, <laughs> she's like a personification of the Genesis, mm-hmm. and there's like, you know, little console war things. I mean, um, the Neptunia is kind of like that. Yeah, uh, right. So this is sort of like that, but from the PC Engine's perspective, the mm-hmm. Turbo Graphics in um, Japan. And so that was a Kickstarter project. It was successful, and mm-hmm. it's coming out very soon. Very right? soon. Yeah, it was uh, supposed to be sometime this year. Mm-hmm. It was never really super clear when it was coming out, but they're very, very close to completion. They're doing final testing now. Cool. And. Uh, their programmer has been sending us great updates like they're showing you know what our character looks like in the game and i got to hear you know like make sure the sword slash sounded right and uh like our story was coming out great and the ending we have our character has their own ending their own dialogue their own story so it's completely different uh the controls um the attacks are actually mapped differently for our character than uh than the other character like our character is projectile centric obviously since shooting as our main mechanism in our game mm-hmm. than as such as the case in uh, Henshin Engine. Yeah. And so if if people want to get a taste of, uh, um, I guess we'll, we'll call it tentatively titled Strike Harbinger, they can check out Henshin Engine. It's going to be um, readily available on uh, PC, PC right? Engine and, PC, and 
yeah, Windows PC yeah. initially. Uh, the first version is going to be for the PC Engine slash TurboGrafx CD, mm-hmm. and uh, that that should be ready very soon, like in the next month or so, maybe even by the time this thing goes live. Mm-hmm. And uh, Windows PC is probably next, and there will be versions for Dreamcast and eventually one for the Sega Genesis cartridge. That, oh, I didn't know about the Genesis cartridge. That's really cool. Yeah, nice. I, I think they, yeah, they're voting for which platforms are going to be made. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure... 100% like when that one's coming out it's probably going to be much later right right uh, I mean of course you don't speak as the developer no no we're, we're just know yeah, we're just good friends with yeah, them and yeah. uh, we wanted to have, um, partner up just because uh, we, we went to a gaming show together and both of our games were there and we were like whoa your character looks kind of like you know our aesthetic and then he looked at our character and it was like oh can we see that character from all angles and yeah. you know he started doing fan art of our character we're like you know why don't we just collaborate and uh, have a character crossover and yeah. that's where what happened they were shipping first and it's great because you know we kind of have our franchise out there earlier than we ship and mm-hmm. uh, that will be out there this year in, in 2017 and I'm just super happy about that and uh, it was super fun writing for it, and, and so you you kind of have a built-in audience now of people who will be aware of it, mm-hmm. and they'll be following it now. Um, um, what are the next steps, I guess, for your game in terms of? I mean, obviously development, but then once it moves towards release. Well, that's kind of a broad question. Um, we just try to hammer on the game and add more features to it, get it feature complete. And then after that, it's content. So levels, levels, more mm-hmm. levels and more enemies, uh, more story, more stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be from probably the beginning of next year on towards when we have some kind of release. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably have a release. We're not sure how much of it, how much of what we intended from the beginning is going to be in it, but mm-hmm. be, we'll have something out by next year. Nice, nice. Because, I, yeah, I got to say, you know, when we do these, um, these podcasts, we always, you know... We, George and myself will see projects we're like oh we should talk to these guys and this is my favorite one to follow just because I feel like it's always it's been progressing which mm-hmm. I can't say the same for a lot of um, games that are being developed that I follow unfortunately yeah, yeah I mean um, our our structure is a little bit different I mean we, we really look up to projects like Shovel Knight where mm-hmm. they had something provable something that you could look at and say that's going to be fun and people could have faith in it before they ever asked for anything in terms of crowdfunding mm-hmm. and uh, we, we want to have people have that same feeling and confidence uh, in our project where they've already played it they already know it's awesome yeah. and if we ever you know do a crowdfunding then people will be like you know sure we already know your game's great right of course and so yeah you definitely have my vote of confidence and I'm just I'm really looking forward to thank you uh, what the future holds for it and I'm sure they said this the last time we talked and so um, yeah I mean of course next I, it's great, too. I'm just down the road from Galloping Ghost, really. I'm, like, 15 minutes away, so whenever you're in town, I can just run over here and be like, please let me play the latest version of your game. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I was glad that I was able to, like, you know, just bring bring a build of it and yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, be able to show you. Awesome. And so the next thing I wanted to talk about um, is the Tetris World Championships. Sure. So that's another thing that um, you're involved with. What's your, what's your role in that? I am the finals commentator for the championships, it's the Tetris World Championships. We play NES Tetris. It's considered by many to be the definitive version of the game because it was the first widely released version on a console. And uh, the way it's balanced, there are a lot of mysteries to it that um, we still don't know why, but the way it's balanced skill-wise uh, is very meticulous in that if you can max the game out, your level of skill has to just be at this certain sweet spot mm-hmm. uh, where, you're, where you're able to... Uh, get to the highest level before it kills you. Like, the game has a kill screen in that you can't move the pieces left and right far enough to be able to make lines anymore. So it's almost like it has a definitive end. And it's an end that's not the fault of the player. It's literally the machine will kill you because (laughs) um, it just says, nope, that's it, that's all you're getting. And um, in order to get to that level, you have to be very, very good and play at pretty much the best level that can be expected and uh we see a lot of that in our competitors and the people that that play the game and i was curious now i know when tetris came out i mean especially for the um the game boy but maybe for the console too it was it had a very wide appeal a lot of people liked it i mean not just not just i guess at the time gamers but like you know people who were you know businessmen businesswomen um the elderly <laughs> you know? right it was a very different kind of game and it was you know, puzzle games are everywhere now, but back then it was a new thing. Mm-hmm. And a game where you weren't like a 
character shooting stuff or mm. a spaceship or, or anything like that where um, it sort of exists in uh, in sort of like a abstract space where your yeah. your your controller actions perform something that's intuitive but it's not something that that was previously done like you're moving the current piece that's in play mm-hmm. and then and then it falls and then it locks down and the next one comes out and those gameplay design concepts were new at the time do you see like a wide array of people at these championships I mean, or is it is it primarily people who are consider themselves gamers, or do you get people who are like, I only ever play Tetris. I'm not really into video games. It's interesting. Well, I think most of the people that get to that level are very familiar with video games in general, just because you just have to be familiar with the controller to have that kind of hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some people who specialize in Tetris, mm-hmm. uh, but lately, you know, we see different types of players. Like you would expect, maybe only people who grew up with the NES to be the ones in this tournament, but now we're getting younger people in there, and now we're getting people from other countries. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like we, we have a Tetris Grandmaster who specializes in the Japanese arcade version of Tetris, but he does very well at NES Tetris, which is unusual because NES Tetris never came out in Japan. Oh, okay. Actually, his name is uh, Koji Nishio, and his handle is Koryan. Mm-hmm. The coolest thing about this, this actually goes into Sega territory. He's a huge Sonic fan. And he actually came by this, the tentatively titled Strike Harbinger booth with a Sonic and Knuckles Japanese version cartridge in hand, and he wanted me to sign it. And apparently he had actually seen the Rock the Rock Championships uh, in Japan, I guess, back in the 90s. And, wow. And uh, he wanted me to sign it, and I was like, whoa, that is so cool. And uh, that's actually the last tweet that we made on our, on our Twitter <laughs> was, uh, was him showing up and showing off the Sonic cartridge. And uh, we retweeted that, and I was like, I was blown away. I was like, wow, that's... That's an interesting thing. Speaking of Sega, mm-hmm. Sega was actually a sponsor for us this year at the tournament. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was even more interesting since we play Nintendo NES Tetris, but we're sponsored by Sega, uh, as well as uh, the Tetris company and BPS, uh, which own the Tetris license. Mm-hmm. So our tournament has been getting bigger and better, and it's uh, grown so much ever since we moved to the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, shout out to the Portland Retro Gaming Expo for hosting our tournament uh, every year and allowing us to grow. Um, and speaking of growth, uh, last year's tournament uh, YouTube video uh, went viral. And uh, <laughs> right now it's sitting at about six, almost six and a half million views, and it, there's a meme in it. And yeah. I didn't find out about this meme until about three months ago, but it's, um, Boom, Tetris for Jeff. Me saying boom, Tetris for Jeff over and over again because I guess the way that I was commentating when they were having the match between Jonas and Jeff, for some reason I said boom, Tetris for Jeff a lot. And people would cut the video and uh, <laughs> basically put all the boom, Tetris for Jeffs together and they would make explosions and make the screen spin around. And it was very funny. And uh, yeah, the video has like 9,000 comments. It's over 9,000. It's over 9,000 comments, most of which are people saying boom, Tetris for Jeff. So where'd the boom come from? Okay, so that's, this goes back to the 1990 Nintendo World Championships, and there was the, their main commentary was Terry Lee Torok. And at the time, the, the kids that played the game didn't make Tetrises too often. So it was more of a special thing when a Tetris happened, and sometimes he would say, you know, Tetris, or boom, Tetris. And he would just exclaim it and make everything seem more exciting. And uh, having a live commentator, you can only talk about what's going on so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the way that he did it, the way he explain, exclaimed Tetris was, you know, it made it exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I met him, met Terry Lee Torok, and he even signed my NWC hat, like, a very special way. And I thought that was great. So when I started becoming the commentator for the Tetris tournaments back in 2010, I, it just felt only natural to so, sort of follow his his tradition and his patterns and every once in a while I would say you know Tetris for whichever player or boom Tetris and this was you have to realize that boom Tetris was in 1990 this was before boom headshot Mm. because FPSs didn't exist in 1990 right I didn't make that connection but yeah yeah it predates it yeah so some people might think it's like a boom headshot thing but it's actually from the 1990 Nintendo championships and Terry Torak didn't always say boom but I I say it more often I guess it just flowed and I just, I just got used to it, and it became a meme, so now people kind of expect it. Mm-hmm. And some people hate it. I know like a lot of people say, like, oh, I wish you'd stop saying boom, or there's <laughs> like the worst commentators ever. But then I also see other people, probably more people, saying that, that they like it, or when they don't say boom, it, it's like not as exciting. So um, six 
1.5 million views, I guess, don't lie. I mean, people are enjoying watching it. Yeah, and did did Jeff get any more booms after that? From um, Well, unfortunately, this year, uh, he didn't make it into the top eight, but I gave him an obligatory boom Tetris for Jeff just because, you know, it, it was it was a thing. Mm-hmm. And they also made a T-shirt. Uh, the Tetris World Championships uh, have, like, you can actually go to the YouTube video and, and get, get, a, get a shirt, and any proceeds for that helps the tournament out and helps us, you know, put on a good show every year. And I've been wearing that shirt a lot because it's, it's funny and, and people like it, and uh, I'm, I'm a meme, so may as well embrace it. <laughs> and so do other people request the boom? Uh, they wouldn't, I think though, so. Well, I remember, um, I think there was, like, a, a little thread on social media where uh, so, someone was wondering, or it might have been himself, but Corian was wondering... Uh, if I would say his in Japanese, oh. and uh, I would have said, uh, boom, Korean wa, Tetris Desu, or something, and <laughs> it never happened because he didn't make it into the top oh, eight either, oh. even though he had the highest qualifying score going in, yeah. so maybe I'll have to wait till next year, and yeah. I'll have to brush up on my uh, <laughs> my Japanese announcing, yeah. but uh, I don't, uh, that, that might not go over too well, I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm ready for that yet. Yeah, right. Wow. So you've gone from... Um, you know, uh, video game championships to video game developing, living meme status. Um, so what? Esports commentary. Esports commentary, and um, so what's I guess what's in the the near future? Are you looking to branch out, or are you kind of looking to build off of? I'm looking to kind of lock down and get tentatively titled Strike Harbinger finished because yeah. that's something that 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 I'm really excited about, and I know people are going to love playing it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, things have been so busy, and it is tough to focus on one thing when you're spread so thin and you've got a lot of duties. I mean, I don't want to stop doing things like the eSports commentary. I'm going to do that every year. And right, of course. Like, it, like, I love supporting those guys. I mean, those guys uh, that run the tournament have been doing a great job, and it's grown so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to stop doing that, but, you know, it, when you have to plan trips and, and uh, do showings for your game and that sort of thing. It does kind of get in the way. So mm-hmm. um, just having a long runaway to develop a game is, is a great thing, and we're going to get that now. So it's almost like after this trip, this International Video Game Hall of Fame trip was sort of like the period at the end of the sentence before I can take a breath and start a new one where yeah. I'm just going, going development, 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 and get, get our game out there and, uh, and you know, make it, make it a thing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that we met... Um, I guess in large thanks to Doc at the Galloping Ghost Arcade, um, who, you know, I, I worked with him, or at least he, I didn't do a damn thing. I mean, I made, <laughs> I made a few signs and put them up during Sega Week, but but he's the one that told me that you'd be coming out there, and um, I'm just so happy that we met and that I got to, um, I guess, get, on, get in at the ground floor of Strike Harbinger, because I feel like it's just going to start going up and up and up, and it'll be like, you know... But going back to that, yeah, Sega Week, yeah, that was something that you were collaborating with Doc on, right? Yeah, that changed our course. Oh, really? When, when we figured out that they were having a Sega Week, we were like, that's like the perfect time for us to to show that thing because we didn't, we weren't sure where, when we were gonna do it, but yeah. it just it just seemed right. It yeah. just seemed like a good a good good chance to do that. I actually had to go through some extra trouble to wire up arcade controls for that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very one of a kind. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I was like, okay, Sega Week, it, like that would be a great time to uh, show it, just because our target audience would be tuned into it, and and uh, you'd be there, and it was kind of cool because you had already announced me as being, um, you know, the Sega Rock the Rock champion was going to be at Sega Week. Right. Right. And uh, that made me more more motivated to do a good job and to to have a good showing there. So in a way, like this whole community thing where you collaborated with Doc and then. I ended up collaborating with, with uh, all you guys too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made everything better, and I think it was still hilarious that when I showed up, you still didn't know what I was going to do there. You, you, I think I said I was going to do something, but you did not know that yeah. I was going to be showing a sort of like a homage to a Sega game, right? Out I mean, of nowhere, I, I knew you were in game development, but I had no idea that that was what was under the tarp. Right, know? and yeah, I had been working on it for, for a little while. It's not like we got word that there's Sega Week and we just, you know, started that game. Like, it was something that we were looking for some way to to show it for the first time, and it just seemed right. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, I'm looking forward to what the future holds for that. And if people want to follow Strike Harbinger, tentatively titled, um, what are the best social media channels and the website? Just, uh... 
at Strike Harbinger uh, will always be the consistent place that uh, development news will be. I think uh, also Henshin Engine uh, will uh, will also have some of our news mm-hmm. being attached to it. Especially um, they're they're shipping soon, so um, we'll we'll always have our character in that in their versions of the game. So uh, there's there's some synergy there. I, I really like working with the Henshin Engine guys. Um, I'm. Now this is a really strange thing for me to say, but my favorite video game platform of all time is the NEC PC Engine, and Henshin Engine is like tied to that. That's mm-hmm. like uh, it's a homage to the PC Engine, and uh, I like the PC Engine the best because it has the best Sega games on it. <laughs> <laughs> like the version of Space Harrier that's on uh, the Turbo Graphics or PC Engine uh, is faster. It's colorful. Mm-hmm. I would almost say that I've patterned my experiences off of Space Harrier and the Rail Shooter off of that version of it. Uh, well. And you can you can kind of feel that in tentatively titled Strike Harbinger. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Well, um, we will be following your career with great interest. Thank you. And um, I'm looking forward to what uh, 2018 holds. So uh, maybe in a year we'll we'll catch up again. Um, and probably s- less than that. Probably less than yeah. that. Yeah, I think yeah. I think we're gonna if we're gonna have anything shipped this year, we're definitely gonna find ways to uh, you know get the word out there and. And uh, come back out again, and uh, that's after our long stretch of uh, hammering away at it right, to, to make the product. Right, got to lock you away and just make you work for a while. Yeah, and yeah. I actually fully look forward to that. Yeah, yeah, I can understand it. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you again for coming on to uh, to the show to chat. Um, always a pleasure. Yeah, if you need uh, someone to help you do farts on Tattoo Assassins, uh, <laughs> that was a lot of fun the other night. Yeah, yeah, that was great fun. Yeah, yeah. if you want to see the game where every single character farts with uh, just a few clicks of a button. And it's by Sega. Yeah, and it's by Sega. Yeah, Check I would look Tattoo forward to a feature by, by Barry on uh, Tattoo Assassins in the near future. It's probably going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll help you uh, with that information, too, because <laughs> there, there's some good documentation on that. Yeah, that would that be and, great. And how Sega factors into that and kind of like how Sega Japan ended up being the reason for the game getting canceled. Yeah, yeah, I definitely am looking forward to digging into that whole weird history. Uh, well, thanks again, Chris, and um, You're welcome. We'll, we'll talk to you again in the near future. Awesome. Will do. SegaBits is a fan site that is not in any way officially affiliated with Sega. Sonic the Hedgehog and all Sega-related trademarks are copyright Sega. All other featured trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Don't forget to check out SegaBits.com, and you can find us on all major social networks. Just search SegaBits.